0: Our Bibles to 2 Corinthians as we will look today to conclude our series, a summer series entitled uh, Encouragements from 2 Corinthians. And uh, just a couple weeks late, I think we're into fall now, but pretty close. And while we're turning there, 2 uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible and uh, Genesis to Revelation. Begin a new book in the Minor Prophets this evening, the book of Amos. And um, not Amos, Moses. That's a song, but uh, this is just plain Amos. And uh, we'll be studying that tonight. If you've never studied it, you don't know what in the, what in the world is Amos about. Uh, we'll be looking at that this evening. Everyone's invited, six o'clock. We'll uh, look at the final, uh, we'll look at verses eight through um, uh, 10 this morning, but we'll pick up its context by beginning at chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless, Paul writes, not profitable f- uh, for me to boast. I will come to revelations, uh, visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is is not lawful for a man to utter. And of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool." For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he, that is the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul therefore responded, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then i am strong let's pray together father as we come now to our final lesson in this series of encouragements through this summer and come to two encouragements that are so majestic we pray that you would bless us not only in studying the passage but that you would bring to our remembrance from our own life and experience with you, how your grace has been sufficient to each one of us and how your strength has been made perfect in weakness. We pray that you would use this time to equip us, but we pray also that you would use this time to remind us of how true both of these truths are and were not only for the Apostle Paul, but are for us as well. And we pray and ask for this work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we studied last week in verses 1 through 7 to kind of set the table for this final couple of encouragements here in uh, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul's detract- distractors we, detractors we might remember uh, there in the city of Corinth, they brought... Uh, uh, quite a series of uh, false accusations and slanders against the Apostle Paul. And uh, we looked last week at the kind of final two slanders that they brought against him, accusations uh, in in the form of number one, where they accused Paul, as as Paul addressed it in chapter 11, they attacked his commitment to and his concern for the church in Corinth compared to their commitment to the church and their concern for the church at Corinth. And Paul responded by laying out this long list of sacrifices that he had made as he detailed them in chapter 11, not only concerning all of the churches that he was a part of establishing, but also in the church of of Corinth uh, as well. And all of it done as a... A communication of his commitment to them and the apostle paul knew that no one that was uh, kind of uh, trash-talking him in corinth of these false apostles could even begin to approach uh, the level of sacrifice that he had made for the good and the betterment of, of the body of christ as he as he laid those things out And then second, they attack Paul's spiritual credentials compared to their own, and specifically in the realm of uh, spiritual gifts. And then most specifically in the realm of visions and uh, revelations. And so that's what Paul addresses here. And Paul let them know that uh, just because he didn't broadcast all of his visions and all of his revelations that he had received from God didn't mean, like the false apostles were doing in Corinth, didn't mean that he didn't have them, and they weren't occurring in his life. Uh, They had been occurring all along, but he kept them to himself, because for the most part they were revelations and visions that had been given to him in the privacy of his own relationship with God, and in his own uh, service uh, to uh, to the Lord. And then he proceeded, as we saw last time, to give them uh, just one example of the kind of visions and revelations that he had received from God through the years as he spoke about uh, his being caught up into the glory of heaven itself. And Paul was absolutely loath to to enter into this discussion, he, uh, ca- this comparing themselves among themselves that was going on, this boasting that was happening, he called all of this just pure foolishness. He said, this is the, this is the activity of a fool to try and uh, put up, you know, God did this with me and did he do something with you or better, and, and he just hated being drawn in to this kind of a thing but he allowed himself to do it. He did what he didn't want to do in, in chapters 11 and 12 here, only out of his love for the church at Corinth. And so he speaks about, I, I hate doing this, but I want you to know the truth about uh, me related to these accusations that Uh, that they're leveling against me now about me not receiving revelation or the supernatural being active in my life, not because I want to broadcast it or I have any need to broadcast it, but so that you aren't seduced by these false apostles who are putting these false kind of standards for spirituality before you and using this as a means of proving themselves to be superior uh, to me and and in an endeavor to lessen my uh, pastoral influence in the church, that they might then take uh, take that place uh, as as well. And and so Paul was doing what he hated to do for the good of, of the church there and the individual Christians who attended it. Paul did not like the fact that he'd been put into this place of not only comparing himself with these false apostles but even revealing these private visions and revelations he had received from uh, god again these were personal but he brings them out in order uh, to defend them from deception and he didn't like all of this at least on two levels he rejected The idea, the premise that the false apostles were putting forward, and they were declaring that these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, these revelations, these visions, uh, these gifts of the Holy Spirit, were badges of spirituality, and whoever you know manifested them the most was the most spiritual compared to those who uh, didn't manifest or exercise these these kind of uh, of uh, gifts. And, uh, and so, uh, Paul contended that even when these things came from God legitimately, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, uh, visions, dreams, revelations, the Christian life is absolutely a supernatural life. He's not putting any of those things uh, down in, in any way. But when God exercises a spiritual gift through a person that is purely an act of god's grace it is never necessarily a mark of this, the spiritual maturity of the person that he uses and so paul uh, reminds them of the fact that this is grace this is not something that that you earn and so they never should have been boasting in it uh, at at, uh, at all And their boasting in these things revealed the fact that they didn't understand even the basic things about uh, the gifts and the supernatural of, of the Christian life. And he reminded them, the church at Corinth, he reminded them of where you can truly determine the spirituality of a Christian And it is found in the quality of life they live and then then based upon what comes out of their mouth and to the degree that that matches the Christian life that is described in uh, in the Scriptures. And then second, he readily confessed uh, that if the false apostles had proposed a contest with him, not in boasting of visions and revelations and, and these kind of things, but he said, if if they, in essence, if they had proposed a contest between me and them that involved boasting in my, in how weak we are, boasting in our infirmities uh, and and the weakness and infirmities that they brought to their Christian life and service Paul said I would have gone all in on that and in essence Paul was saying uh, do you want to know what I bring to my Christian life and to my Christian service all I bring is weakness and infirmity And so anything you see good coming out of my life, anything that you see is godly, anything that's profitable for you, it's purely a work of God's grace, and it's an evidence of His strength being revealed in my life. And Paul also mentioned that the abundance of the revelations he had received from God, just the sheer number of them necessitated that God would send a messenger of Satan to uh, Paul and and, and, uh, afflict him with a thorn in the flesh to buffet him, lest he would be lifted up in pride and all of it to keep him humble. And then concerning uh, his desire to be freed from this thorn in the flesh, we're told in verse 8 that he pleaded with God three times that it would be removed. And then in verse 9 we have... Uh, in answer to Paul's prayer, the Lord said no to him. I'm not going to remove it, but it's not just a no. He said no, and then he explained to Paul and to us in one of the most encouraging uh, passages in the Bible, the reasons that he said no to Paul and to Paul's uh, uh, request. And then in verses 9 and 10, we have Paul's response to God's denial of what it was that he had asked for in prayer. And so that Paul would uh, repeatedly plead with the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh from his side uh, really speaks volumes to the d- difficulty it introduced into Paul's life, the unpleasantness of whatever this thorn in the flesh was. Um, his life was hard enough as it was. And then to have this on top of everything else, if he had his choice, His choice would be that God would remove it from his life and remove it immediately. And Paul, as we know, in in knowing anything about him from the Scripture, he was no whiner. He was no complainer at all in in his life. He certainly was accustomed to very crushing, crushing hardship and difficulties within his life, as he began this leather, as he evidenced in laying them out, as we saw last week in, in chapter 11. And, uh, and, and all of these things he endured without offering a single prayer to God that he would remove any of them. But this particular thorn in the flesh he desperately wanted to have removed. You might remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Uh, Paul said, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In the middle of that, He thought he was going to die, and the whole group that was with him, and there was never a peep from Paul that this would be removed from them. And then, as we saw last week, and I'll repeat it in that list in chapter uh, 11 of 2 Corinthians as he lays out all of the hardship that he went through in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ, speaking of the false apostles? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. And while there might be the temptation to say, you know the rest of it, and then to just cut it short, I, I, to me it's, it would be just the ultimate in. Dis- Disrespect to him. Uh, the man who lives through this, the man who experiences all of this to stay faithful to God's call upon his life, and I don't want to read all the way through it. He said, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys, often. Often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches, and not a peep about the removal of any of these hardships from his life, never a complaint from his lips related to this. And yet, this thorn in the flesh, he pleads with God three times, To remove it. And the reason I emphasize it is it's because it's important to understand how uh, much the Apostle Paul wanted to be free from this so that we can then appreciate what God then says to him in verse 9. That then changes his perspective completely on it to where he's not only willing to accept the thorn in the flesh but to even rejoice in its presence within his life it is important here to recognize that god can and he will say no to our prayers when we're uh, asking him for something that isn't a part of his plan for our uh, lives i think most of us have probably prayed prayers that we discovered uh, were quite misguided. And uh, I'm o- I've offered so many of them, I'm almost as happy about the prayers he didn't answer as the one that he has answered. But, uh, but when, God, when God says no to one thing in our lives, it is always, always to do something better. He has something better in mind related to our lives. And I think you've experienced it in the same way that I have. Here we're in a difficult situation, difficult relationship, whatever the trial might be. And we look at it from every angle that is humanly possible to look at it, and we, you know, slice it, we dice it, we analyze it, and then we uh, do our pitch to God in prayer. God, this is what I'd like you to do here. And we're convinced in our minds Uh, that even God is not going to come up with a better plan than the one that we have planned and we're trying to get him to come on board with. And then he says, no. He doesn't pull out the thorn of the flesh. He doesn't change the circumstance in the way that I want. But it's never the end of the story. Because then a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, and a year goes by, and then we see it we see that what we had asked Him to do that He ignored would have been a disaster in the situation and would have been nothing even remotely close to the beautiful thing that He then brought forth in saying no to us. And this happens over and over and over again within, within our Uh, lives. It's always true. When God says no to something in our lives, it's because He has something better in mind. But better is always defined uh, in terms of Christ-likeness or greater depth in our relationship with God, something that has to do uh, spiritually so often. Now, God's answers to Paul's prayer here in verse 9, they're just made up of two very, very simple uh, statements The first is a promise concerning the thorn, and then the second is an explanation for the thorn. The promise that uh, God gives to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, His prayer was not answered with a deliverance from his affliction, but it was answered rather with God's promise to give him all of the grace he would need from God's throne in order to bear that thorn or to bear that circumstance. In other words, Paul, no matter what you face in the form of your weakness, your infirmities, your needs, your persecutions, your distresses, as Paul lays them out in verse 10, in the course of your Christian life and in the course of your Christian ministry, I will always add enough of my grace that it will always tip the scale in the direction of my grace, no matter how great the hardship is that you find yourself in. My grace will be the final word in it. My grace will be the deciding factor for you getting through whatever it is that I call you uh, to do and to get through. And here is Paul, now 14 years later, And he, from this vision that he has received, and he has tested this promise. My grace is sufficient for you. He's tested it by way of stripe, by way of stoning, by way of shipwreck and beatings, and all manner of peril and danger, he says. And he, in effect, says that he is witnessing to the truth of it. That in all of these things, God gave me the grace that was necessary in order to navigate these things. There was always more grace from God than there was the hardship or the trial that I found myself in. And 10 years later in Paul's life, from the writing of of this here in, uh, in Uh, the letter of 2 Corinthians, as he's uh, writing at the end of his life, the uh, 2 Timothy, which was his final letter before uh, he was martyred, he would write in the same vein, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. It my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And what is true and was true of the Apostle Paul is also true of every single one of us as Christians, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now to Him, speaking of God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul wrote further in his letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And this morning, I can't speak for you, but I suspect you're exactly like me. And in the 41 years of my Christian life and Christian service, I cannot remember a single time where I ever failed because of a lack of God's grace in my life, because He failed to supply me with the grace that I needed in every single chapter that I found myself in in life. However high the tide got, however deep the waters might be, one nostril out-of-the-water kind of trials, He didn't always remove the thorn, He didn't always remove the circumstance, but He always added enough grace to keep me dependent upon Him and to keep me moving forward in His calling upon my life. And what is true of me, I know it to be true of you and your testimony as well. And one of the reasons I know it to be true of us is because of the gusto with which we sing the the hymn amazing grace whenever the worship song, uh, team leads us in the song amazing grace and all of this song that brings out all of the multifaceted uh, grace that is poured out in our lives not only grace for salvation but grace in the christian life and the same gusto that we uh, that we sing in that third stanza through many dangers toils and snares i have already come tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home now god's explanation for the continuation of the thorn in paul's flesh is the second great encouragement here for my strength is made perfect in weakness well if god's strength is made perfect in weakness then it's important for us to understand what weakness is because weakness is a big subject related to our lives we think of weakness and we think almost always a physical weakness, but there's a lot of weaknesses within our lives that God has to bring his strength into our life in order for us to navigate them. And Paul, again, he tells us what he understood these weaknesses to be in verse 10. He spoke about infirmities, these are incapacities in our life, sickness, uh, weakness, physical limitations. He talks about reproaches. Uh, the insults and mistreatment of other people within our lives. He talks about needs, and that's just being in need, just the general state of, of trouble and distress within our lives. He talks about persecutions, and this is the harassment and the opposition of people against us for solely uh, being Christians. He speaks of distresses, which speak of hard, hardship and difficulties. That can be financial, that can be relational, it can take all kinds of forms. And then he talks about enduring these things and and taking pleasure in these infirmities for Christ's sake, that is, as required in order to be faithful to Christ, in order to be faithful in His relationship with Christ and to be faithful in His Christian service uh, to Christ. And God declares that His strength is made perfect in this kind of weakness. And those two words, made perfect, it means bringing to uh, to completion. And it carries the idea of uh, readily being seen or readily being recognized. In other words, God is saying, my power is most readily seen and recognized when it is manifested in weakness. And of course, it would be. Uh, That would be the case related to this. In other words, if if people can look at our Christian lives and look at our Christian service and then just explain them entirely on the basis of our own natural talent, our own natural abilities, our own self-discipline, our own determination uh, in, in life, then God's strength would never be seen in our lives. And He would be robbed of His glory within within our lives. And so he can add some thorn in our lives that makes us obviously weak to ourselves, that makes us obviously weak to other people, so that when we continue to serve God, when we continue to walk with him, then other people and ourselves recognize that it is God's strength at work in our lives. And and this is the prayer so often that we have is before we come out onto the platform here to begin uh, a service. This is one example. This goes on all through the week where uh, worship uh, worship leaders and somebody that's going to teach comes forth. And the prayer is, Lord, would you just mark the service by the supernatural so that people will not leave this service Uh, able to uh, 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 look at what it is that they've been in the middle of and chalk it all up to natural talent and natural ability, that they would look at it and say, God is in their midst of a truth. Nobody can fabricate this. Nobody can make this. Nobody can create this. And to realize those people can't do what God is doing, uh, He is doing in this room. And to realize that what people are witnessing is His strength being made perfect uh, in weakness. and Because that's the only way He's seen. And it's the only way then He's glorified and recognized as being a part uh, of of our lives. Whatever our area uh, of service might be. And for those of you who are naturally very strong and very disciplined and very talented, like the Apostle Paul obviously was, then the greater the thorn in the flesh that is often required in order for people to realize that what they're seeing is no longer your strength, as as mighty as it might be in comparison to the rest of us, but they're witnessing God's strength in uh, in you. And wherever each of us sits on that scale of, of mankind in terms of natural ability and strength, some thorn, some distress, some hardship, some persecution will be a part of our lives in order that people will see that our lives are merely God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. And because God's strength is made perfect in weakness, it's important that we never talk ourselves out of anything that He calls us to do. One of the first things we will be conscious of in anything that God calls us to do as Christians and the Christian life itself is to look at it and say, I am completely inadequate for this. I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability, I don't have the determination or whatever it might be to accomplish this thing you're calling me uh, to uh, uh, God. And then sometimes you can think that, all right, well, maybe after 40 years, of walking with the Lord or serving the, the, the Lord for 40 years, that somehow that uh, goes away because now we have enough life experience uh, to be able to bluff in our own strength. But it never goes away. There is always the consciousness in this Christian life and in our Christian service that we are in way over our heads if God does not add his grace and does not add his strength to what it is that he has called us to. So never think that a sense of inadequacy for anything is a, is a, a reason for uh, jumping out of what God is calling you and, and, and me uh, uh, to. The only time we ever become dangerous in our Christian service is when we think we're adequate for it, independent of God's grace and independent of, of His strength. It is important to understand that the, the, the weakness that God is talking about here is He's not speaking about sin or, or carnality. He, God is not glorified in a sin-filled Christian or in a carnal Christian But but what he's talking about here in terms of weakness is that with us being very, very ready to acknowledge to ourselves and to other people concerning our Christian lives and service, that what they are seeing is 100% God's grace and 100% God's strength being made perfect in weakness the acknowledgement of weakness i cannot i could not in a million years live the life that god allows me to live in his grace and in in his his uh, strength and acknowledging that and we're not very comfortable in our culture advancing uh, our weakness uh, in our culture no culture probably is But the Christian culture, it's a a different way. And we always want to be tempted so often to when God does something greater, He does something supernatural related to our lives, to have some kind of an explanation for the, the part that we played in it and all to boast in something other than our weakness and then to rob him of of the glory he gets for his power and for his grace. And you see this kind of thing that goes on all of the time so often, where especially in books so often, not all of them by any means, but so often related to ministry. That it's been reduced down to uh, I do this and I do that, and here's the ten points that I've discovered in my own, and all of these formulas and all, and there's an explanation for God's use of the man or the woman, an explanation other than God, and His grace and His strength, and 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 so uh, here, this this Paul had no problem boasting in his weakness and in his. Uh, His infirmity. And there is a great pressure because we do know how to put on, you know, our our best foot forward and uh, let people see the best side of of us and hide so many other things and and, and all. Uh, And so, there is this pressure so often that we feel as Christians and in Christian service that the the greatest witness… Uh, to God within our lives is to portray general perfection and never let anybody know that there are weaknesses, that we we have these struggles. These are things that are going on in my life. This is a great difficulty that I'm I'm having in this relationship or whatever it might be. And and with the idea that people will be the most attracted to Christianity, to God, uh, to His work in the human life on the basis of how well we can portray general perfection, as opposed to boasting in or making known our weakness and our infirmity, that this cannot, this, this does not, the life, again, that we're living cannot be explained By anything other than his grace and his strength being added to infirmity and to weakness, and what he has done in my life, he will also do in your life. And and there's there's the hope, and it's the highest means by which God is glorified. And knowing this about his thorn in the flesh, Paul's response there in verses nine and ten is he he then pouted for the next ten years until he went home uh, to heaven and just, you know, dejectedly resigned himself to all of it. No, he says he rejoiced in it. You look in verses 9 and 10. Gladly, boast, take pleasure. And the reason he did is that the old saying goes, for Paul, his entire life was to know God and to make God known. And if it required this thorn in the flesh for God's grace and God's strength to be manifest in his life, that others might then come to know uh, God and experience the same thing in their own lives. He says, I will gladly, I will boast, I will take pleasure in all of it. He says, I am all in on on that. And then he closed with this encouragement. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not a bad thing to put on a little... A three-by-five card and, and paste on a, a mirror somewhere in the house, some place that you know the place we go to most often, in the house potentially. And again, communicating to the saints in Corinth. I have no interest in competing with the boasting of these false apostles if you want to know what I bring to my Christian life and service, and and, and he wants us to be known, and God wanted to be known down 2,000 years of history, all I bring is weakness and infirmity in the face of what God has called me to be and to do. And if you want to boast in that, I will be happy to boast in that. And to say to the church at Corinth, this is a silly game that I've been pulled into here. When you saw me and my visits with you and the establishing of the church, all you were ever witnessing was God's grace and strength being applied to infirmity and weakness. It is important to notice that it doesn't mean that as a result of this, God threw a weak apostle into the midst of his calling. Paul could have never withstood what he went through if he was merely weak. uh, weak. Weakness in and of itself is not an asset. That's not what God is saying. The reason that weakness is an asset is that that's what allows God to add his strength and grace to it like he can't anything else. So it wasn't like Paul went out into the world into all of this hardship, all of this difficulty, uh, weak. It just means he didn't go out in his own strength, but he went out in the strength of the Lord. And that is the only strength that can hold up under the demands of the Christian life and a life of Christian service. So these great encouragements, God's grace is sufficient for us, His strength is made perfect in weakness, two of the greatest encouragements in the entire New Testament, let alone Second uh, Corinthians. So this morning we want to conclude our summer series by partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper. And if the worship team will come forward and the men will come forward to pass out the elements, that would be great. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. Uh, the, the servants will pass out the bread and the cup. It will all be a self-contained Uh, package, and then just take that, and then hold the bread in the cup, and we will partake together, pray together, and then partake together. The partaking of the Lord's Supper is something it is for Christians. And so, if you're not a Christian here today, and you would like to say, yes, I would like to confess that I'm a sinner to God, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and be born again, right in the seat you're sitting in, do that and then partake of the Lord's Supper with us. But if you're not a Christian and not ready to become one yet, then don't partake of the Lord's Supper. We want you, the first time that you partake of the Lord's Supper to take place uh, when is one of the first things that you do as a, a new Christian. And so, the, the partaking here of this, uh, uh, this morning. So, here's what here's the meditations related to this. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, one of the interesting things in, in reading related to that passage, uh, you know, now for a couple of weeks on it, and um, uh, in, in commentators and all of these different kind of things, they they hardly know what to do with it. It's like there's no big, long descriptions of what God is saying here because it's so simple and it's so clear. And so for us this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it, it's a time for us as we partake of the bread first and then the cup, but the bread now, to meditate upon the sufficiency of His grace in our lives. If you've walked with God for a week, for a month, for a year, ten years, decades, to just stop and to look back at your own testimony of God's faithfulness to this. It's not just words on a page, but he's done it. His grace has been sufficient for us. And then with the cup, his strength is made perfect in weakness. And to praise him and to give him thanks now as we partake of the symbols of Jesus' body and of his blood. Brent, would you lead us in worship? Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.